Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So you got a Bible, turn to Galatians 4. You want to get on your phone, get to Galatians 4, but that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in verse 12 and finishing up Galatians 4 today. So real quick, why is it important to know and understand the story of Galatians, right, or the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church? Here's why, just real quick. Paul was speaking to people who were doing religious activities, and because of their religious activities, had some sort of a faith that they were going to end up in heaven, in eternity, in relationship with Christ. And at the end of the day, because they were believing a false gospel, they were going to miss it, right? So for us, why should we pay attention? Why should we be looking? What should we be looking for when we're studying uh, the book of Galatians? We as a church, because that's who it was written to, religious people, right? We as a church should try to figure out, number one, do we believe the true gospel, right? Because there's a chance you could have grown up in church. There's a chance that people could have told you, and it could be wrong, right? So Paul is helping you clarify did you believe in the true gospel, and are you a child of God, right? So we can make sure that there isn't any deception. And the other part is so that we can truly help other people understand what the gospel is. Does that make sense? Like, that's why we should be listening. That's why we should take notes. That's why we should try to understand it to the best of our ability. Now, the one thing that we have to remember to put a lens or a backdrop on what Paul is saying and why it's so important, we have to go clear back to the beginning. So one of the things that we know from the beginning, if you go back and you read the creation story in Genesis, one of the things that was vitally important that you get, like it gets a small amount of time, but it actually sets the foundation for everything that we learn today, is when God created mankind, he created them to be in relationship with him. That was the idea. So perfection meant we and God could commune together, right? Like we could spend time together. We could talk together. We could eat together. We could be in relationship, like doing all kinds of things together. Then that relationship would continue to build. But God created mankind so that he could be in relationship with them. Then Satan came, sin entered the world. What did it fracture? What did it break? Come on. This is the 11 o'clock service. You guys actually talk. So relationship, right? So the idea was when sin entered the world, a God who could be with mankind, because at that point sin hadn't entered the world, when sin entered the world, it broke or fractured the relationship. So when you read the Old Testament and when you read the New Testament, the thing that you need to remember, the backdrop and the lens of all of that, the thing that God is doing for us, right? So when you read the Old Testament and you're talking about the Old Covenant, right, that he has, or the law that he puts in place, you know why he put all of those things in place? So that he could be in relationship, right? He's trying to restore something, right? The idea is, is that if we follow what God has for our lives, if we do what he has for our life, the whole intention of the law, the intentions of the rules, the intentions of Jesus, the intentions of everything was to fix what was broken from the beginning, which was a relationship. Now, that's what he had in place, but obviously we messed it up, right? So if you read the Old Testament, the thing that you're going to recognize is, is that God put things into place, like God put rules into place, and the idea of the rules was to build relationship, right? To, to make that relationship good again. 
But people started to use those rules not to build relationship, but to start to check things off religious boxes, right? To make it so that, oh, I followed the rules, so I made God happy. Followed the rule and made God happy. And no more were they following the rules to be in relationship with him. They were following the rules to make him happy. Now, if anybody's got a wife that gives them a honeydew list, anybody have that wife? No? Okay, one in the back, yeah. So you, yeah, so you get this honeydew list, right? And the idea is you, if, if you're going to go out there and you're going to do everything that's on the list, right, somehow that in, in, in your mind and maybe in their mind, right, if you do all of these things, our relationship will be so much better, right? Because you're such a good husband, you did all of the things that I asked you to do. Now, husbands that are doing honeydew lists, Tell me that that builds your relationship really well. Right? I mean, come on. Like, you do it, and, and at the end of the day, you do it to what? Keep mama happy. Right? Like, the reason you do this, but the relationship part of it, like, there is no relationship building. And, and the other funny thing is, and this is, you know, a little bit how the, a woman's mind works, I think, right? The idea is, is like, I'm going to give you this list, and you do this list, I'm going to love you, right? And then you go out there, and you do the list, and they're like, where are you? Why aren't you ever home? <laughs> right? Like, here's this big list, but I never see you. Uh, here's what I want you to see, right? The idea, at the end of the day, we know this. We have all of those things to do, but we know there are certain things that build relationships, and we know there are certain things that don't, right? And at the end of the day, what Paul was trying to get them to realize and what he's helping the Galatian church recognize is you've fallen into a trap. You've fallen into a trap of you think that if you follow the rules, somehow you're making God happy, or somehow you're pleasing God, or somehow you're getting in right standing with them, right? But you're not fixing the relationship because you follow the rules, does that make sense? Right? The idea is everything that Paul puts, talks to us in Galatians is to, to help you understand Old Covenant, New Covenant, how they work together, they were both supposed to do the same thing. They were supposed to fix what was broken from the beginning, which is a relationship. So here's what we're going to try to figure out today. So Paul, remember last week, so Paul said, let me give you some examples to help you understand relationships. So let me help you understand identity. There's a difference between a slave and there's a difference between a son, right? That was last week. So if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it because that's a big deal, right? The difference between a son and daughter of the king compared to a slave, right? How we operate, the things that we do, what we're going to get as an inheritance, that all is determined by our identity, right? And so we talked about how we need to be sons and daughters of the king, not slaves, right, and, and understand what it looks like. He's going to come back again today and say, let me give you a picture. Let me go back into an Old Testament story to help you understand this idea of Old Covenant, New Covenant, and how they fit together, right? What does it look like from an Old Covenant standpoint and a New Covenant standpoint that both of them were there to build relationship, but in both of them, we've messed it up. So how do we get back on the right track? Make sense? All right, so let's go to Galatians 4, starting in verse 12. Here's what he says. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. 
And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that. If you have, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but, you, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may uh, have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish uh, I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So he starts with this, kind of laying a foundation. So before he gets into the story, the first thing he talks about is the relationship piece. Isn't it interesting that when he went and gave him the gospel, so he's talking about from the beginning, I went and gave you the gospel, and when I gave you the gospel, you were so excited and you trusted me so much that you essentially compared me to Christ Jesus and you would tear your eyes out for me. Right? Don't you think that's a little bit interesting? Like in the beginning, the trust was so deep that they compared him to Christ Jesus and that they would do these things because of the message that he brought, which if you think about it in terms of people that have truly been delivered from darkness into the light and the person that gave it to you, you feel forever indebted to them right? Somebody who gave you the truth, who taught you what it means to be a believer, and you're like, that person, because of, like, I'm forever indebted to Jesus, but it did take you in my life to be able to experience the freedom of Jesus Christ, and I'm like, I'm indebted to you. Now, the problem is, then, that's what he says, the problem, how could you go from trusting somebody so much in what I said to now going in a completely opposite direction? Right, like he said, how does it get to the point where you trust somebody so much and the message that they give you to the point now where you're saying, I don't know if I believe any of it, right? Or I maybe believe some of it, but we're moving in a different direction. So the first thing that he tells them is, if you are going to, right, understand how to stay faithful to the true gospel, one of the things you're gonna have to understand is this. If you preach the truth, or if you talk about truth, you will be seen as the enemy, right? Now, this is important, okay? Because it's not somebody's going to disagree with you. You see the difference? You see, you can sit in a room and you can disagree with people, right? And we can all agree to disagree, right? Like that's just a part of, we can all, I mean, not anymore. I mean, today you can't agree to disagree, right? Because the same thing that you see in culture today, if you speak truth, you can't just like, oh, we just disagree. Like, this is the way you view things. This is the way I view things. If you speak truth and somebody doesn't disagree with you, they, you now become the enemy. And I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you because of what you're saying. Is that not true? Like what we're saying today? So this is what he was saying back then. Here's the idea. Speaking truth, not only am I speaking truth, but you need to recognize that now I am, or you look at me as the enemy, and you're trying to discount not just what I told you, but now you're trying to tear me down as somebody who could be trusted, right, with the message that I have. So he said it's important. He says the way that you're going to do that, the way that you're going to 
you know, get people who trusted somebody to get to the place where they don't trust them anymore. You need to alienate them or you need to isolate them. Right? Here's what we know. If you have people in a, in a room and you're sitting there talking together with a group of people that have diverse thought, right? People that can talk about different things. You can tend to be in that room and you can be able to agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, you're probably going to walk away with the thoughts that you first had, right? Because you have people surround you that support your opinion and you're not by yourself. Does that make sense? But when you get by yourself, here's what happens, right? You can be easily swayed, right? When somebody puts you in a room and they're like, you thought this was truth, but this is really the truth, all of a sudden they can start swaying your opinion in an opposite direction, right? So isolation, the enemy understands this. See, the enemy understands your mind. You know how people say, I just need to be alone? Anybody? Like, I just need to be alone for a while. Not for very long, you don't. Because you know what happens when you get alone? You know what happens up here? <laughs> Things start spinning around that aren't always that good, right? So when people say, I need to get alone, you can get alone for a little while, but when you get alone for too long, things start spinning around up here, and then when you're alone or when you're isolated and all of those thoughts are going along, and now somebody shows up and said, you know those thoughts that you were trying to figure out? Let me tell you what's true. They can sway you easily when you're isolated. You know why we tell people all the time you should be in community at Life Church? Not so that we can say, oh, we have so many small groups at Life Church. You know why you should be in community with other people? Because if you isolate yourself to your own thinking, you are vulnerable to be swayed into false beliefs. That's just the way that it works, right? Because you become whatever your environment is, right? So whatever your environment is, you could be easily swayed because the people that are surrounding you can easily move you in that direction. Instead of being in a community of people that don't all think like you, but believe the same thing. Does that make more sense? Right? Like you can be in a group of people that we believe the same thing. And because we believe the same thing, right, we can help spur each other on in that. So he's like, you need to be aware and you need to be open, you know, to those things. The other thing that he says, you'll always be growing in your faith. So one of the things that recognize, and this isn't for all of you in here, but it's for some of you. You grew up in the church, you've heard every message, you've heard every song, and, and I've heard this from people before. You know why one of the reasons I don't come on a Sunday morning is I've been in church my whole life, I've heard these messages over and over again. That is a problem, right? Because people who get to the place where they can no longer learn will be vulnerable to Satan. Because if you think that you have ever arrived, then Satan's going to use that ever arrival to be able to manipulate you into believing things that you should never believe. He's going to manipulate
you have a choice. Okay? There is no in-between. So you can't be a little bit under the law and a little bit under grace. You're either under grace or under law, right? And both of those, the choice that you make, have consequences, right? Good and bad, right? So if you're under the law, here's what he tells you. If you're going to live under the law, there's consequences that go with living under the law. If you're going to be with grace, then this is what it means to live under grace. But you can't live with a little bit of law and a little bit of grace together. They don't work. Okay, so he says, make your choice from the beginning because in that choice, it'll determine how you believe. Then he goes on and says this. This is when he gets into the story. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. So he goes back to, here's a story, right? Let me tell you a story. So if you don't know, like humor me if you already know the story of Abraham, but I'm going to tell you the story of Abraham because the story of Abraham, the two characters in that story, Hagar, right, and Sarah play a part in what Paul's trying to teach, New Covenant, Old Covenant, right? And I'm going to teach you through those things. So here's what he says, or here's the story from the beginning. Here's Abraham, right, has a, has a big village of people around him. God shows up on his doorstep, and I'm summarizing it. God shows up on his doorstep, and he says, hey, Abraham, I have a place that I want you to go. You've never seen it before, right? And it's a long way off, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up everything that you have, right? So I want you to pick up everything that you have. I want you to move all of your family, all of your village, all of your animals and everything you have to a place that you've never gone before and there is no map to get there. Just wake up every day and follow the star, or follow the cloud, or follow the fire. Now, pretty amazing, even in that story alone, Abraham says, yeah, I'll do it. Pretty great faith, right? But here's what you need to see about the story. So then Abraham, right, and in that, God said, here's some promises for you. You know what the promises are? And I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you, you know, many descendants. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Like, he put all of these promises. And Abraham's like, okay, I'll go out. Here are the promises. We don't know what the timeline is or how long this took, but they were traveling along, and they got to Egypt. So they got to the edge of Egypt. Guess what happened? Here's the promise, right? God said, hey, anybody that comes against you, I'm going to come against them. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. So here Abraham on the outside of Egypt looks over at his wife and says, we got a problem. You know what the problem's going to be? If we show up in Egypt and Pharaoh thinks that you're my wife, he's going to take you. So we need to lie, right? And I need to say that you're my sister. Now wait, just think about this for a second. Abraham got a promise, right? Abraham got a promise from God. Anybody that's going to come against you, I'm going to come against them. He gets to the place where his faith is challenged. This is an important part of the story because this is a part of your story. There are times where you've had great faith and there's times where you've come to a crossroad where God asks you to have faith again and your faith falters. And you know why? Because the tendency is, right, we always lean into the flesh, right? That's the tendency. So here, here's what Abraham was doing. Like, it makes sense to just say you're my sister, and at the end of the day, there's not going to be problems. That makes more sense than just going through and trusting God, right? Now, they get to that situation, and here's what's funny about the story. So they go, and guess what, guess what the Egyptian pharaoh does? Takes her anyway, right? Now, 
Funny, because you would think a God who gave a promise, when we renege against his promise or don't follow him, we're assuming he's out, right? But guess what happens? She gets taken by the Pharaoh. Guess who gets punished? Abraham or the Pharaoh? The Pharaoh, why? Because God made a promise. Here was the promise. God said, anybody that comes against you, I'm gonna come against them, right? So God comes against the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, why did you lie to me? Here, take her back. All right, go, take her back. You need to do, again, showing that if God gives a promise, he can be trusted, regardless of your, what you do, right? That this is important, right? Because he already knows some things about you, and you have to know he doesn't renege against our promise because sometimes we don't get it, right? The promise is still the promise. Then he goes on. Here was one of the other promises. I'm going to make your descendants great, so you're going to have a son. Now, think about this as you go along. In the beginning, you're right. God, we're going to have a son. It's going to be cool. You know, but do you ever imagine that year after year and after year after year goes by and you're sitting around the table with your wife and you're like, uh, God said we're going to have a son, but do you notice what's happening to my body? You don't think they had this conversation? You know what I mean? Like, I'm getting old. Things don't work like the way they used to be. Like, things aren't going to be that. Like, I don't think we're going to be able to have a kid. Right? Like, I think they had these conversations over and over and over again, even though God said you're going to have a child, right? And you remember how we talked about, here's the idea that, that the flesh kicks in when our faith dwindles? So when the flesh kicks in, guess what? You come up with your own solution, right? So the solution was then for Abraham to sleep with his maidservant, Hagar, right? Now, again, back to the funny thing in and I guess it must be, like, I didn't think I was picking on women, but I'm going to pick on them anyway. So it's the whole idea where, where your wife or woman tells you to do something, and then you do it, they ask you why you did it. Anybody ever experienced that before? Right, like, this is what we really need to do, and then you go out and do it, and they're like, that's not what we should have done. Okay. I think it's relevant. Like, I think people at times, this is what happens. Like, we really need to do these things, and then you go out and do it, and then the outcome of what you did, even though you're like, I don't think this is a good idea, turned out the way that you thought it would. Well, the same thing happens, right? So Abraham's sitting there like, I don't think this is a good idea, but if it makes mama happy, I guess it'll make mama happy, so I'm going to go sleep with my maidservant, Agar, right? Because we need to keep the peace, right? So we got to keep the peace. Just doing what mama says to do, right? So then he does it, and guess what happens? She ain't happy, right? So they get a kid, right? They, they took it into their own terms to do what they thought was right, what she thought was right. They got what they created, but it was out of flesh and not out of faith. Does that make sense, right? So he's giving you this picture of here's Abraham who does these things and goes down this, 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 this road, but he's helping you recognize this. This is the important part. Faith is not natural. Your journey of faith is not natural. You know what's natural to you? To do what is comfortable and the things that you can control, right? That's your natural state. So when you get to a place where things become uncomfortable, right? Gives us the example, the Pharaoh gives us the example, sleeping with the Hag Hagar, the maidservant, it just goes on and on. When you get to a place where things get uncomfortable, your natural tendency will always to lean back into comfort. And Paul's trying to help you recognize this because this is the bigger problem of why they've fallen back into the bondage of living under the law, right? 
because it's easier in their mind, it's more comfortable, and it's the other thing that he recognizes about all people. When things are out of control, what do we want to do? Get them in control, right? Isn't that the natural nature of every person? When things are out of control, we need to get them back in control. Well, what Paul's going to help them recognize is that's the needs of the flesh, right? The needs of the flesh is to be comfortable and in control, right? And the needs of the flesh produce, in your mind, comfort and control. But at the end of the day, what he's trying to produce inside of you is not comfort and control, but faith. Right? And he's helping you try to understand what that looks like and trying to give you a picture of what that looks like. So then he goes on, and now he's going to tell the story. Right? So this is the story of Abraham. Now he's going to talk about how the covenants go together in verse 24. Here's what he says. These things are be taken figuratively. The woman represents the two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves this is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children, but Jerusalem, that is above, is free, and she is our mother. So here's the old covenant, right? So he's talking about old covenant, new covenant. So here's the old covenant. So God, when, when he had his people and they were going along, he told Moses to go up on Mount Sinai. And so he goes up on Mount Sinai, and what's he come down with? Ten Commandments, right? So he comes back with the Ten Commandments. Now here, think about this just for a second. Why did God give his people the Ten Commandments? Did he expect them to keep all the Ten Commandments? You can go like this, right? <laughs> but here's what I want you to think about. Remember what we talked about in the beginning, everything that God does is to build back Remember what was broke from the beginning? Relationship. So if relationship was broke from the beginning, why would God give the Ten Commandments? To build relationship, right? Like that was the idea. So here's the thing about the Old Covenant, right, that, that he wanted. Understanding, this is why it's important to understand this, because when people are like, do I do away with the, the Old Covenant and the law? The law, remember why it was given. Okay, the law was given for two reasons. One, because here's what God knew about you. You're going to want to go off the path. He's saying, like, I want life and life to the fullest to you, and I'm going to give you these 10 things, and if you do these 10 things, they're the guardrails of your road. If you do these 10 things, it's going to keep you out of the ditch, right? And you're going to experience life and life to the fullest. Obey these commandments, and it's going to keep you out of the places where you're going to end up in really big trouble, right? So that was one reason. You know what the other reason was? Right? It's to make you realize that you can't do life on your own. Right? That was the idea of the Ten Commandments. So when you can't do life on your own, what does it push you towards? Right? Hopefully. A relationship with somebody that can help you do life. Right? Like that, that's the idea of the Old Covenant. Now, the thing that's important about this, though, is, is that what happened with the covenant is not what God intended. Right? What happened with the covenant is this. Every time a person feels condemned or guilty, they try to do something to no longer feel guilty. Is that the natural nature? Right? I did something wrong. I need to do something right to make up for something that I did wrong. Right? So it creates this idea that every time that I do something wrong, I need to do something right. And so it creates these slaves to the law, not sons to the king. Is that 
making sense, right? So if I do something wrong, I got to do something right. If I do something wrong, I got to do something right. If I do 10 things wrong, I got to do 10 things right, right? I got to be able to do things because what's going to make God happy is me doing more right things than wrong things, right? So you're a slave. When you evaluate your life, your worth or your identity is how many good things, how many bad things, right? Now, the cool thing is we have a perspective. I mean, they had the perspective, but we even have a deeper perspective. So he says, do you want an example of how this works? I'm going to give you an extreme example. So the descendants of Ishmael were in Arabia, right? And so the descendants of the Ishmaelites are Arabs, right? Again, this Muslim people, the Arabs, right, Muslim people. So if you want an extreme example of somebody who chose the law over relationship, let me give you an extreme example of how it works. So if you read the Quran, right, so that's the, the, the Bible for those who are Muslim or descendants of Ishmael that are from Arabia, right, or from the Arab nations. If you read the Quran, the Quran is made up of the Old Testament, right, partly of the Old Testament, and the prophet Muhammad, who looked at the Old Testament and said, this is what the Old Testament says. Let me tell you how to interpret the Old Testament into fulfilling the law, right? That's what the Quran is. So think about it from this perspective. So if you look at the Old Testament, it's about the law, right? And the prophet Muhammad's interpretation, and maybe even some of the people's interpretation here, is, is that you need to do more right than you do wrong, right? To be able to make God happy. So if you are a Muslim believing in the law, here's one of the things that you know. You know how you spend eternity in heaven? You know what happens after you die? So if you're a Muslim, descendant of Ishmael, Arab through the Arab nation, if you die, the first thing that happens is you stand in front of God, and God has a scale, and this is what he does. He evaluates your life, and he starts putting things on the scale, right? Here's the good things. Here's the bad things. Here's the good things. Here's the bad things. If your scale tips more to the good, you get to spend eternity with Allah. If your scale to too many bad things, right, towards the bad, you get to experience a life without Allah in a place called hell, right? Like you're going to be tormented forever. So they live their life very fervently to do what? They're a slave to more good things than bad things. So the decisions that they make in their life are, I got to do more good things than I do bad things. And they're carrying out the things that they're, the law, because that's how they believe that it will make God happy. It's just like the Greek gods. So one of the things, if you are in the Greek gods or Greek mythology at all, the one thing that you did is you did everything you did to please the gods, even to sacrifice your children. Right? Like you would do anything to please the God. Same concept. So in this, people that follow the law, what they're doing is anything they can to please God because they think the scale is the thing that matters most. Are we tracking, right? Now, how do we get radical, extreme Islamic behavior, right? You know how we get that? Because you know the only way to eliminate a scale the only way to eliminate good or bad is jihad. You know what jihad is? A holy war with the infidels that are going against God. So you know why somebody would fly a plane into the Twin Towers? You know why that you would strap on a, a, a suit and walk into a place where you're going to kill people that, that would be seemed outside of 
Is this making any sense? You know why they would do that? Because if you do that, you know what you're guaranteed? There's no longer a scale you're in. Right? And what I want you to see is, is that this is, this is a, a huge, like, I know it's a radical way of looking at it, but when you live with a law-based faith, you will do anything possible to please God. And if you can't, you're either out or you'll do something to substitute it. Right? That's what happens when, when we live a law-based faith. And it's really no different today. Right? People who live, this might be a radical thing, but it even happens in our churches today. Right? That, that you, like them, aren't radical in your beliefs, but you believe that because you can check things off the list that you're making God happy. Right? You're living under this idea of what the old covenant is. Like if I do these things, somehow I'm going to please God. And so the old covenant, you know, he's saying it's not bad. The rules are good. The law is good. Just don't use it for the wrong reasons. Right? Understand the new covenant and how it goes together. Are you ready for that? So here's the new covenant, right? So what does the new covenant, when Jesus came into the picture, it didn't mean the old covenant was bad, it just wasn't working. It was creating slaves, not sons, right? So here comes the new covenant, and when the new covenant comes in and Jesus came in, the idea was the new covenant was gonna free you from the things of the old covenant that caused you to be a slave. Are you ready? Here's the first one. It frees you from the law. Does it mean it does away with the law? So what does it mean to be free from the law? Here's what it means. Your standing with God is not determined by how many rules you keep. That's what you're free from. So what you're free from is this. You're free from the idea that if I keep the rules, I'm in good standing with God, right? The law, you know, you're free from that determining your identity or determining where you're going to spend eternity, right? So you are free from that and, and understanding that your identity or where you're going to spend eternity, eternity is determined by Jesus and Jesus alone. So you're free from the law. The other thing is this, you're free from works, right? So you're free from this idea of that God's determined your worth based upon how good or bad you are. Right? And I know some of you in this room have struggled with this, is that you struggle accepting that God loves you because of your past. You ex you're struggling that God accepts you as a son and daughter because of your present. Right? Like the things that you have done or the things that you have been doing, right? You're sitting here saying, like, God must hate me. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Listen, you're free from that. God loves you as a son and daughter of the king, regardless of what you have done, what you are doing, or what you will do in the future. There is no more scale, right? You're also free from this. It's not only from works. You're free from bondage. You're no longer a slave. So do you remember when um, the story where the guy stood in front of Jesus and he said, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this? Do you remember that story? And Jesus' response to him was, away from me. You know why? Because this, these people were, a bot, were in bondage or slaves to doing religious things. Did you notice how they said it even in the story? I went to church. I read my Bible. I did, I did, I did, I did. Right? This idea of as a slave, I did everything to keep my master happy. But the one thing that you missed is a relationship with him. 
Right? That's why he says, away from me. So you're free from that. And you know the other thing that you're free from or free to do now? You're free to now be a son and daughter of a king that can produce fruit. You see, you had no ability to be able to do that in the past. Like, the struggle in the Old Testament was this, is God had the law, and you tried to keep the law, and it was terrible. Like, you just couldn't do it, right? And it was so hard to do. But you know what Jesus changed in the new covenant? When Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, you know what changes for you? The Holy Spirit now lives in you and gives you the ability to be not only delivered from sin, right, but delivered to a life that can produce fruit. Because here's what I want you to see. This is really important. Do you remember when in Scripture Jesus is walking along and he looks at a tree that's not producing any fruit? Do you remember what he says to that tree? Cut it down and do well with it. Cut it down and throw it in the fire. That's what he tells you to do because a tree that's not producing any fruit is worthless, right? So he's saying, you need to be a a tree that produces fruit. And here's the struggle for everybody when when you say that. Am I doing enough? Am I producing enough? Am I, am, am, I, am I producing fruit because I don't want to be the tree that gets cut down and thrown in the fire? You know the one thing that the law does for you or the, the freedom from the law does for you? It takes the pressure off you. To, you don't ever have to answer this question. You don't ever have to say this again. Am I doing enough? Because what's enough mean? Enough means this. You see, before enough meant doing works, enough in the new covenant means leaning into Jesus and letting him do what only he can do. Does that make sense? Right? So enough means this. Am I leaning in? Am I trusting? Am I putting all my faith in? Am I doing? Because when I do, you know what you're guaranteed? You're going to produce fruit. You see, enough in the world means, did I read enough? Did I come to church enough? Did I, you know, did I serve enough? Did I do enough? That's not what he's talking about. Fruit will be produced because you did enough to lean into the one who's going to produce fruit. Lean into the one who's going to be able to give you the ability to do things that you could never do before. So that's the difference. He's saying, here's old covenant and new covenant, but the way that they go together is this. And this is what you need to understand to be free with this new covenant in the way that God sees it. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 27. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you've never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud. You were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And this is how he ends it. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are a children of the promise. All right, so the worship team's gonna come back up. Let me end with this. What does it mean for each one of us in the room to be a child of the promise, right? What should that mean? How is it that we can understand and, and get a picture of what it means to be a child of the promise? Here's the first thing that we can get, right, or think about. So you know how you, they were comparing it to Hagar and Sarah and the two children that were born? You see, Ishmael was born out of the flesh, right? I need to take control. I need to be in charge. I need to get it together. I need to subvert God's plans, take my own plans and put them into place, born of the flesh, right? Isaac was born because God decided it at the right time, at the right moment when he decided. 
Isaac was born of a divine intervention from God. That's why he's the child of the promise. For every single person in this room, here's what you need to recognize. You, not by your own works, are a children or a child of the promise because what God's done for you, right? And when you understand that, like this is an important thing to understand. When you understand that it's because of what God did for you, it changes your whole perspective. Like a child of, of the promise or a child of faith understands this. You remember in the beginning when Paul said, you guys trusted me, you would have ripped your eyes out for me? See, children of the promise recognize this. Like, I had nothing to do with my own salvation. Like, I'm not standing in front of Jesus because I've done anything other than admit I'm a sinner. <laughs> but like, I can stand in front of him and I can be a child of the promise because I finally admitted what I really need to admit. I'm a sinner, fallen short of the glory of God. And because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I can stand here right and you know what that produces? When you understand that you're a child of the promise, you owe your life to the one who gave it to you. Right? No longer do you do works to please God, but you do things because you love the one who gave you life. Like the reason that you're here, the reason that we do, the reason we go down the road is, you know what? Because he gave me life not to make him happy, not to be in right standing. I do these things because of what he did for me, right? And that's so important for us to understand because I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like Abraham. Great faith, moving, God, I trust you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh. Anybody? Things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going and you want to take control and you want to be and you want to, all of a sudden you're stressed out and you want to grab everything and you want to put it back and I trusted God here, but I'm struggling trusting God here. But you know what's so great? Like that's been the story of my life, trusting God with everything that I have and then all of a sudden like I don't know and I don't know and I don't know, but guess what? He still loves me. People are still singing stories about Father Abraham. You know why? Because he trusted the Lord not because he got it all right. Not because he made every decision that was good, but because he made the one decision and that was to trust the Lord. Right? And that's what needs to be for each one of us today. Right? That we would understand children of the promise put our faith in a father who will never leave us or never forsake us. Good? Stand and pray. Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, Lord, we would recognize that we need to be reminded that we lean way too much into our own flesh. We want to be comfortable. We want to be in control. Lord, but what you want most of all is for us to trust you, to love you. Heavenly Father, I pray that for each one of us that if we're going through the motions and we're a slave to the, to the law, Lord, that we'll change us. That we'll do things not out of things to make you happy, Lord, but because we love you. Lord, may we accept and understand what it means to be a child of the promise. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.